Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. Join us as we cover a multitude of real estate-related topics with some of the brightest and most experienced minds in the industry. Our goal with The Real Podcast is to provide information, strategies, and insight on how to navigate the current and upcoming Canadian market. We use the experiences, knowledge, and the expertise of our guests and professionals in the field and offer it all back to you, the listener. We hope you enjoy the show. Be sure to check out our website at www.reilounge.ca. We're your hosts, Brian Fitzgerald, Erica Spencer, and Jay Shaw. Hey everybody, it's Brian Fitzgerald here with Jay Shaw and Erica Spencer. This is episode one of the Real Estate Investors Lounge. Today we're going to be covering the introduction into real estate investing. Chances are that if you've ever thought about real estate investing, you've probably stopped at the thought of just purchasing your own personal home. For many, this is where they stop. But have you ever thought that your home actually becomes part of your overall investments in your portfolio? It's kind of crazy to think about the many people that don't realize the power of owning your home can actually be the first piece of your investment portfolio. And unlike many investments, real estate is a tangible and physical asset. It's something you sincerely feel like you own and that you can reach out and touch. Today in the Real Estate Investors Lounge, we'll be doing a basic introduction in real estate investing. We'll cover some basic questions that most beginner investors might ask themselves before taking the leap. So today, what we thought we would do is we would do a bit of a roundtable discussion with Erica, Brian, and myself about when we're working with investors, both new and seasoned, some of the questions that we get asked and really how, how we tackle them. So, I mean, the first one is really, why should I invest in real estate, right? I mean, uh, Erica, that's a question that you and I got asked all the time when we started back in 2014. You know, how do we tackle that? What are some of the things that we said to some of our friends in terms of why we're investing in real estate? Well, I mean, the other half of that question is where else would you invest your money, right? So, I mean, what I usually tell people is you get the best return or a better return than a lot of other types of investments. Um, It's an investment that you can drive by, look at, take your friends to, take photos of, advertise, use as a bank account for second mortgages, And most of those things can't be done with, say, a GIC or a mutual fund. Plus, it's a lot more exciting than the stock market or things like that. So, I mean, there's different answers, different reasons. I mean, for us, I think, Jay, you and I started because it seemed like the thing to be doing. Everybody who's made money in life or in business has had some sort of interaction with real estate. So, it seems like if you want to make money, you have to copy what the people with money are doing. Yeah. yeah, I think the other thing too, I mean, Erica, you've got a, a really good line that you say to, uh, you know, some people that are sitting on the fence, right? You know, no one ever got rich investing in those RRSPs, right? And I think, uh, you know, myself having a finance background, I, I can kind of, you know, bash them, not bash them, but it's more so kind of dispel the myths, right? I mean, when you look at things, I mean, you know, RSPs and management expense ratios, and you know, people are making 5% or 6% on their on their RSPs, that's great, right? But you can make a lot more in real estate investing. And, you know, you need to take into account some of those costs with both inflation and the expense ratios. When you add those together, you're almost breaking even. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot more control with real estate investing than you would with stocks or any other type of normal investments. I feel like you've literally got, like you said, it's an asset. It's something you can have and hold on to. Um, you can make the improvements to make it worth more. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. And Sounds pers- like you're talking about wedding vows there, to have and to hold from this day forward. Maybe I want to marry real estate. <laughs> you are wearing it real cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, going back to kind of like when you started, right, and you had to, uh, you know, as we mentioned in the last episode, you know, when Eric and I go on our missions to convince, uh, you know, investors' wives to uh, invest in real estate, when you had that discussion with your wife, how did that go? What are some of the things that you talked about? Wow. Thanks, Jay, for asking me that question because she's probably going to listen to this. 
Um, you know what? She's actually pretty supportive of it. She understands. When we first started dating, I think I was doing my flip. And that flip, as I mentioned in the last episode, that uh, was quite stressful financially. I think I actually, we were still newly dating and I had to borrow about $400 off her because I was tapped out until it sold. But obviously... Nothing screams, you know, committed, like, hey, can I borrow $400? Yeah. And uh, can you pick up the check? (laughs) No, but uh, I I think the the factor too is when I took that profit from that property and put into the next one and that was cash flowing. And then obviously with the most recent one of the refinance and putting into another property. Part of that refinance put a brand new vehicle in our driveway that's paid off for. So, I mean, I think sometimes you have to convince somebody. Sometimes they kind of just see it. Some people are hard sell. Or bribe with a new vehicle. Or bribery works too. (laughs) I mean, like you're going to do whatever you got to do, right? But the thing is, is like, and and we talked about this before, is that sometimes you got to convince people and there's some people you just can't convince, you know, and you guys, I'm sure, have encountered them too. What uh, I refer to as the doomsayers that, you know, they hear one bad story about real estate and it's just the worst thing in the world. I think we're really uh, fortunate with the people that we work with, the investors we work with, is they're already convinced, yeah, right? They're like, absolutely. look, like, you know, I've got a client who right now who basically he's convinced he can't buy a property fast enough. The challenge that we face is we can't find him a property, right? Because it's like they're going too quickly and we can't act quick enough. And, you know, I think the other piece of it is that as an investor, we can't get emotional on the purchase price, right? We have to, you know, look at our numbers. We have to make sure the properties flow. But I think we're really fortunate, the three of us as the investors we work with, is that they're convinced already that real estate is the way to go. But I mean, there are some people and I, you know, Eric and I have friends like that too, where it's like, they're just waiting, right? They're waiting for us to fall on our face, right? And I think at the end of the day, we've grown our portfolio on a responsible level and we've got the appropriate checks and balances in place, you know, and I mean, it's not for everyone, right? And I think that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to convince everyone that it's for them. There's some people based on their risk tolerance that it's just not for them and that's okay. But really what we're trying to do is educate people in terms of real estate investing and how it can change your life for the better, like in your own personal story and in our own personal yeah, story too. Absolutely. And I mean, like you said, you're not going to convince everybody and maybe some people just give this a couple listens and go a few episodes and think, no, it's not for me. And then there's others that might realize we that maybe it is. We want them to give us a review first before they do that. Yes, so, five yeah. star review five on star iTunes or Google Play. Google Play, yes. There we go. Shameless <laughs> plug right there. <laughs> yeah, that won't be the last. So maybe let's get into another question, Brian. Yeah. Like, what's one question you get from some of your clients? A lot of people are asking, they have a full-time job and real estate investing. Is it, is it something I can get into? Do I have the time for investing in real estate? Some people think that Real estate investing just means you're a landlord, and that's not really the case. But T4 income is very good to have in real estate investing because Absolutely. why? Absolutely, because it'll be helpful in financing, right? I mean, we need mortgages. So, absolutely. If you have T4 income, yeah. call the number on your screen. Actually, there's not a screen. <laughs> this is radio. <laughs> that's radio. That's, but no, it's a, it's a case of you do mention a, a good point is, is that people with a full time job with steady income that actually can help them a lot more in regards to financing than it could be for an actual real estate investor because, you know, the factors are there and and a good income can make a big difference. So Erica, just a couple of, uh, you know, some of your clients are living, you know, in Toronto and they're investing in properties that are 60 to 90 minutes away. How do you kind of address that work with them in terms of, you know, addressing that, right? Because like if something were to go wrong at a property, and I think that's, you know, I think everyone's concerned, right? If they're living that far from the property, how, 
you know, how, how can they work together, like to make sure that they have peace of mind? Well, I mean, most of those people uh, that you're mentioning either have property managers or, you know, they have extra time in their day. I mean, most of them that they can't come to the properties are using property management. That's the easy answer. Uh, I mean, having time while you're working as a full-time employee and going back to the beginning of the question, I mean, how many people listening to this right now are sitting in their cubicles at work pretending to do work, right? I mean, None of them because they're all working. <laughs> yes, working no, hard. I mean, we did that too. Like we, we you know, I don't know about you. Work, I always worked, worked from very home. Hard. <laughs> working from home was me at our first property in Niagara Falls. That was a complete disaster. I was there every day for it a was long beautiful. time while I was Take working. All that back. It was beautiful and it continues to no, be No, we need this to be real. It's not all, it's not all pretty and shiny <laughs> objects like we want people to understand and go ahead erica tell us the truth. so the point of what i'm trying to say is that people that have full-time jobs like they they might value their time a little bit more than people that are doing this full-time so i mean if you're working nine to five you are multitasking you are you know checking properties on your breaks or whatever like while, while you're working so i mean you're it's more of a like they see it as kind of the future, right? They want to get out of that cubicle. They want to get out of, you know, reporting to the man every day at, you know, 8.30 in the morning. So, I mean, there might be a little bit more motivation there. There might be a little bit more incentive there to kind of um, make wise decisions and get moving in, in the market in their portfolio. People that are investing kind of further away from their home, it does make it a little more challenging. But, I mean, at the end of the day, if a tenant calls you and their furnace is out, you're not going to drive there yourself. You're going to make a phone call and send someone else. So it, the proximity to the rental property really is kind of a moot point in some situations. I think the other piece, though, is that that's everyone's end goal, right, is to have that dream team in place, you know, that team of contractors, right? But it takes time to find the right people. And I think the other thing is people have to feel comfortable with the team that they're provided. I think that's part of the benefit that the three of us provide, you know, as coaches, right? Is that, you know, hey, do you know a good HVAC person? Do you know a good plumber? Do you know a good electrician, right? Yeah. Contractor, handyman, that's kind of a different story because I think, uh, you know, Erica's got a good line about that. But you have to feel comfortable with your trades, right? Because yeah. if your trades, you know, aren't up to the challenge and are going to let you down, you're going to have issues really quickly. And that's the value of networking, right? I mean, any question you ask or whatever you want to talk about, you're going to come back to how big networking can be. I think one of the other things too is a lot of new investors, they want to be hands-off and that's fine. But I feel in my personal experience, I think it's a good time to kind of understand it if you did a little bit of the hands-on yourself. I'm not saying doing the renovations, but managing the property, dealing with tenants. I think you can get a better appreciation that these are customers and you're providing a service for them. And I think it'll give you a better view on what you're doing, even if your portfolio expands a little bit longer and, uh, and, and grows. I think it'll give you a good base of the understanding of what's entailed. The other thing that we should touch on, too, is you can become a real estate investor without ever seeing the house. I mean, you can lend registered funds into a real estate deal. You can joint venture with a partner who deals with everything and you're just the money partner or the title partner and you need to have completely no involvement in the actual house part of the, the investing, right? I mean, it's yep. just literally the investment part of it. So there's different ways to become a real estate investor without without stealing the tagline that lots of people know about and around a hammer. <laughs> we should just cut that out. 
<laughs> well, I think that's I think that's the big thing is everyone thinks that in order to successfully invest in real estate, you have to be a landlord, right? And as Erica mentioned, you don't have to be the person that deals with the tenants, deals with the maintenance issues or anything like that, right? I mean, there are many ways to do it. And I think that's you know, one of the, uh, you know, a few of the different topics that we're going to cover in future episodes. But I think the other piece that I want to put out there is that it's not all rainbows and butterflies, right? No. There are hurdles and challenges. Absolutely. You know, I mean, the first one is really understanding the market, like going back to your own you know, case, Brian, you know, I mean, you're originally from St. Catharines, you bought a house in St. Catharines, right? But you took that added step of finding that coach that, you know, helped guide you through the process. And I think, yeah. you know, I mean, that that helped you be successful in terms of buying the right property at the right price and having the right team behind you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the second one is that it is a time commitment, right? I mean, it's yeah. not if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Right? Yeah. And I think you see a lot of the jumpers on, right, where it's like, oh, uh, you're doing this, I'm going to do this, right? Yeah. If, you know, if you're going to go it alone and, and actually invest in real estate, managing the property, right? And it's that things are going to come up, things are going to break. You know, I mean, we, in our own personal situation, we have a property in the Niagara region, New Year's Day, six o'clock in the, in the evening, get a call from the tenant. It's really cold in here. The furnace went out. Those things happen and you have to be prepared for that. And I think the last piece is that what we're seeing now come January 1st is a tighter lending criteria. The new mortgage changes with stress tests. Those are affecting people, but it is also an opportunity for investors too. Yep. We're definitely getting off topic. I knew this would happen. Okay. We so, just went on seven segues there. Yeah, that's great. All right. Um, you know, I mean, one of the questions that I always get asked, you know, with some of my clients is that uh, you often get, you know, people that are interested in the boot camps, the real estate boot camps. The three-day weekends, we all know who they are. Is it worth the money that they're asking for? Because it is, you know, it's a sizable amount. Brian, what do you think of that? Well, I've uh, I've attended two of those kind of, well, let's say they started as a free seminar to where they gave you just a little bit of information. And then at the end of the seminar, they asked for a lot of money, to which I just left because I was really disappointed. Um, I don't you think they were not going to ask for money. Ah, I don't know. I just seem like such a nice guy on TV. Brian, you're so gullible. I, yeah, I'm, I'm impressionable. I prefer that term. <laughs> Are you part okay. of the droves that like race to the back of the room with your credit card in your hand? Be like, Absolutely how much can not. I buy? Okay. I went no, to the buffet his, his table. His wife doesn't let him bring the credit card to those events. She's smart. That's right. And I just go to the food <laughs> table. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> but Erica, I think you've got uh, a couple stories about those boot camps, eh? I'm kind of negative when it comes to those boot camps. Try to be neutral. Jay and I started there too. I mean, we did. We took one that was based in the U.S. They came to Ontario to teach all their U.S. principles to Canadian investors, and it was wildly inapplicable in some ways. But, I mean, we also took from it what we – what we needed, what we wanted to hear, you know, some important lessons, right? So, I mean, there are there's truth to a lot of those things. I mean, we would never have spent, you know, more than a couple hundred bucks that we spent on the weekend seminar. We saw people rushing to the back of the rooms with not one, but, you know, two or three credit cards, and they were being urged to actually put the upper-level programs onto their credit cards that, you know, range in fifteen to $25,000 U.S. I mean, you can buy that's a house for that. That's crazy. Yeah. You could literally buy a house for that. Yep. <clears throat> well, not a total house, but a down payment. But a down, a good down payment. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I have a lot of clients that have done uh, various programs, and the feedback really, uh, truly, honestly, from, from many of them has been that, They did learn some useful information, but once they joined the Rockstar Network and started working with me as their coach for 
when we started, it was $40 a month. I think now it might be $50 a month. I mean, yeah. for that that measly $50, they've learned so much more than they could have in a program that cost $25,000. And, and they've made contacts and they've made friends and they've made acquaintances and, and the dream team and like everything that we always talk about. So, I mean, you can spend 50 bucks a month or you can spend the down payment of a house and get to the same place, it seems like, right? So, I mean, there's another shameless plug for Rockstar, but... Um, that's going to come up often as a theme, I think, because the three of us, you know, did start there and do work there as coaches. And I mean, we feel strongly, but at the end of the day, like those boot camps, they do serve a purpose. I'm not going to slam them completely, but, yeah. um, I I'm sure there's success stories. I'm sure that yeah. there are. Right. Um, I mean, it's just, uh, it's not my cup of tea. So when we talk about dream team, Erica, like, I mean, we've talked about the contractors who are the component parts, like the important people on our dream team. Oh boy. So if we go start to finish, like the first person would be obviously like a real estate agent or coach, right? So, I mean, we're, we're front lines usually. The next stage would be like mortgage broker and home inspector pretty much at the same time, maybe mortgage broker even before real estate agent, right? Because you want to be pre-approved. You want to know what your budget is. You need to work with a mortgage broker that gets it, right? So that, that knows that, you know, you might want to buy more than one investment property. And if you walked into your local bank and said, listen, I'd like to buy 10 properties in the next year, they'd laugh you out the door. Whereas a mortgage broker might be able to actually help you do that, right? So, I mean, um, lawyers, you need to have a lawyer that understands that you're a real estate investor. And I mean, on closing, if all of a sudden the light bulbs, for example, go missing, <laughs> like that happened to us in a property or something a little more expensive goes missing in a property that, you know, they need to have your back. And the lawyer that we use in my first conversation actually had that exact line. He said, you know what? I'm more expensive. I am more expensive than the next guy. But you're going to come to a point in your investing career, you're going to want a lawyer in your corner that gets it, that has your back, right? And then what else is there? So like insurance? Yeah, property manager. Yeah, what were you going to say? Insurance. Yeah, insurance. I mean, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so I mean, the the list is endless, but I mean, really like – those are the big ones. And those are the ones that you want. You want to deal with professionals that either are investors themselves, ideally. And if they're not investors themselves, I mean, they have a large client base who are. So they understand the hurdles that you're going to encounter and how to get you through those. Because otherwise, you know, shopping for the cheapest rate often is not the best. It's, it's not the way to build a long-term strategy or, or um, portfolio. Yeah. And to touch on your mortgage agent, I think that's a big one, like you said, but the mortgage agent can really play a significant role, especially if you've got a bit of a plan to go further than maybe just one property. A mortgage agent can really help you plan out your investments and what you're going to be able to do on a long-term scale. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, but it's not just any mortgage agent. Sometimes if your plan is to grow big, um, you might have to actually look for a mortgage agent that understands your plan and it's not just going to find you the, the best mortgage kind of thing. So we hear that totally. all the time. But yeah. even if that, sorry, I just cut you off, Jay, but you're used to it. Even, even, if that's <laughs> not, even if that's not your plan. I mean, so Jay and I started October 2015. We met with our coach and then we promptly left for Mexico where we spent the whole time sitting in Mexico, looking at properties, thinking we might want to buy like one or two, I think we said one house this year. Like, you know, let's pay off all our debt. We'd like to buy one house in, in 2016. We came back from Mexico, talked to our mortgage broker, and it turns out that, holy shit, we can buy a lot more than one house. We um, can buy it's before like, nine o'clock. We're not allowed to swear on this podcast. Maybe ten houses, maybe fifteen houses, right? So I mean, it's like 
they can work with you in ways to come up with strategies that are creative and are you once you hit that financial wall like it, it's into different strategies and in different you know JV partnerships and things like that but had Jay and I walked into you know the bank down the road they would have been like well we can give you one mortgage and, and our policy is up to five but you know we count your principal house and we it depends on how much money you're making and you sure have to have a T4 job right yeah. so it's very limiting yeah. and I mean we had no idea what our buying power could have been. So had we not been hooked up with someone who understood in terms of a financial perspective, they basically laid like planned it out for us. We didn't have to do anything other than submit all the documentation, your T4s, like all the information they asked for. But literally they made the plan and, and that's so key for so many investors because people don't understand what their buying power really is. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing that we hear all the time with some of our clients where where we have a deal, we get a deal accepted, and they're like, "Oh, don't worry, I have a contact at Scotia Bank, or I have a contact at RBC." I thought we weren't supposed to mention things like right. that, yeah. right? And it's nothing about like the direct bank, right? But it's more so you need to ask your client or or the investor, basically. Okay, that's great. If you have a contact there, do they understand real estate investing? And if they don't, I mean, you can go down that path if you'd like, but you're severely limiting yourself, right? And I, you know, what we always try and do is that that's great. You want to go down that path. But before you do, talk to these guys Absolutely. first, right? Talk yep. to talk to a group of people that understand real estate investing. If you still want to go down that path, that's great, right? But I think that's important that you work with people when you're building your dream team, that they understand your goals and where you want to go. Like yeah. with Eric and I, like the lenders that we work with, the mortgage broker that we work with understands where we want to go and is able to kind of navigate us through it. So we don't actually have to go you know, out there and do it. Yeah. And the other thing too, with rates, right? I think well, we started out kind of being bargain hunters too, right? Thinking like a consumer where it's like, okay, great. You know, this bank's going to give us 3% or two and a half percent, right? And then we were, we were more hung up on that rate. And then as we went further and further down the path of real estate investing, we realized it was less about, it was less important about what the rate was and more important about number one, who is going to give us the money? And number two, does the deal make sense? Yeah. Right? Yeah, the relationship is everything. And not even at the beginning. I mean, how many clients? I can count on one hand how many times appraisals haven't come in for my investor clients, right? So it's always, in every single case, it's been when the client has used their own contact through their own bank or through their own whatever, um, credit union, bank, you know, lender, and when they send the appraiser who may or may not understand investing and the local market, and that's been the only time that, that appraisals have come in short. Whereas working with, you know, a, a lender or a mortgage broker that you have a relationship with, they understand like they, they have the, there's a relationship with, with the realtor that like they reach out that, you know, we can attend the appraisals, we can work with them, you know, oftentimes it, it works out a lot better in that case that even at the end of a deal or, you know, mid deal, it's not just even in the planning, it's the whole time. And it, it definitely, Jay, it's not about the rate. Like so many people are like, well, I can save, you know, two points if I go to this bank. It's like, yes, but that might be the only mortgage that yeah, you ever exactly. get from that bank and you're done. Yeah, exactly. And I think going back to those appraisals, right? Having, you know, your agent and your coach, there's so many agents out there that do their clients a disservice by not showing up prepared. Because if you don't guide the appraiser to the way you want them to go and mm. show up armed with comps and highlight the work that's been done on the property, yeah. you're likely going to fall flat on your face. The appraisal may not come in. We may have to order another one. That's an additional cost for the investor, yeah. right? You can challenge it. You're allowed to challenge it once, right? However, you've got to be there for your, you know, for the investor. Right? Yeah. And I think this, a lot of this comes back to like what Erica was saying is that a lot of it comes back to your real estate agent. And it's somebody who's investor friendly and is running in the circles and networking with the people. So this would be any three of us would be an asset to a new investor because we're running in those circles. 
we're friends with those people, you know, we work with them on a weekly basis or daily basis sometimes that we're going to be able to point you in the right direction to the right people that are going to help you and that understand what you're doing rather than just trying to buy a house that requires a little bit of money. Right. So, I mean, there's, it's a, it's a broader picture, but I find a lot of this, what we're just talking about, you're going to get as a new investor, especially you're going to get right from your agent, right from, you know, showing the first house. And, and uh, like you said, we're all avid investors and we've been through it. And I think sometimes when you look at the agent, that's the type of thing you should be looking at. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like one-stop shopping. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Like we can be the Walmart Oh, I wasn't going to say Walmart. No. Some people don't like Walmart. You got to be careful. <laughs> well, we're not rolling back the prices on these houses. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, they just keep going up. So get your hooks. Good one. <laughs> okay. So next, another question that I get from some investors that I work with is where can I find the money to buy real estate? Right. Is that you meet with them one-on-one, they're, they're on board, you've bought in. I don't have the money. And I think people don't realize it's not like they have the money under their mattress, right? Or what's what's that commercial where the money's under the mattress? I forget. Uh, it's the mattress commercial? Maybe. Anyway. <laughs> it's a good thing you're here. You're so <laughs> insightful as our as our host, uh, Brian. Oh, yeah. It's my mom Is Where can you house. find the money to invest in real estate? It's a valid concern, right? Because, uh, you know, as we correctly, uh, you know, identified, you know, through Walmart, uh, we're not rolling back the prices on houses. I think they're only climbing more and more. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a few options here. I mean, everybody's going to have options open to them, but finding the money for real estate, I think um, a lot of times people don't realize the power of owning their own home. And I think we touched on that before that, uh, especially if you purchased a house in this area in Southern Ontario, probably like pre 2015, 2014, you might not realize how much equity is in your home just from that boom that we had in 2016, 2017. So there's equity to be had in your home. Another one I find is friends and family. I find, and, and, and you guys might be able to attest to this, that when you start doing these projects and picking up these properties and, and cash flowing, people start to notice whether you know, you're talking with them and they start having interest. And a lot of these investors, they want to be hands off and they might start looking at you and saying, this is something I want to do. Like, how do I get involved mm-hmm. with you? And that's you know, that's one way of finding money if you don't have it yourself is joint venture partners, which is. That's a great point to make because I was meeting with an investor last week and he was at a point where he's like, I only have this much money. And, you know, I said to him pretty point blank, I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you. You're at a different point in your career than maybe I am. And you know a lot more people who are around probably your same age that are sitting on a lot more money than a lot of my friends and a lot of Erica's friends, right? And he kind of smirked and I'm like, I'm not, you know, not trying to be rude, but I'm like, you're at a different place in your career. And if you're successful at this and people know that you're doing it, at some point people are going to want to get in on that action. I think the biggest thing you have to realize though is that you need to have results behind you because if you don't have those results behind you, people aren't going to want to invest. Erica, maybe you can, you know, I mean, you've dealt with, you know, some people that want to just jump in like that, right? People that have ten thousand dollars in their bank account and and uh, no, a big the, dream. No, but like <laughs> people that are you know want to raise money but have never purchased a property. Yeah, so I mean, what I was what I always tell people is that you need to find a partner that you can offer them something and they can offer you something. So what do you need? Identify that first, and then identify what you can offer. So I feel like more people need money and 
can do the work, right? So they, they find the deal, they manage the property, they might do a renovation, they can take title. Often if people have like D4 jobs till they have solid income, they just don't have the down payment money, they can still take title. So I mean, a, a joint venture partnership for those people might look like a 50-50 deal where there's a money partner and then they do everything else, take title and manage the property and, and get everything else up and running. So I mean, there's you have to first identify what can I offer? And I mean, not having any properties and being completely untested and, and you know, no credibility behind you is a hard place to be. I mean, it's always easier if you have at least, you know, one property or, you know, a couple. But one thing that people can often fall back on is, you know, I have an investment coach. My coach is able to, you know, introduce me to an entire network of people. I'm not doing this alone. I may not have any other properties, but I'm working within this network to build this portfolio and I need a partner. So, I mean, you can kind of gain credibility through other people. So that's kind of often what I tell people that are looking for money. I think the other thing too is like, I mean, I think we covered it a little bit, but it is touching on, you know, your inner network, right? Friends and family, like, you know, more so family, right? Who might be interested in, you know, there are, you know, the ability to invest in properties through second mortgages, right? Moving your investments tax deferred, right? And that's, you know, a process called self-directed RSPs. You know, there's only a few lenders in Canada that do it. But you have an ability there to work with people who you can, you know, pitch on a deal and, and access funds that way. So, you know, the people that are transferring their their RSPs get a return. You pay a return on that money, but it helps get you into a property. So, I mean, that's another thing you can look at too. I think that's one that's not as well known as it probably should be. I think that's an important one too, right? And I think that would be a good segment in the podcast to do is get a couple investors to talk a little bit about that on a future episode. Sounds like a good idea, Jay. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> Methods and strategies. It's not just like, hey, buy a house and it starts cash flowing. There's a few different strategies out there. You're not limited to just one. Is there one that sticks out in your head or something you guys like doing personally or ones that you prefer to work with or, you know? Jay, I guess. I'm just going to get Erica in. <laughs> oh. Um, when we first started, I mean, rent to own was pretty popular. It still is pretty popular, but you just kind of have to pick the right market for something like rent to own. I mean, it's a great place for investors to start, especially if they need the capital infusion, because you do get the option payment up front, and that does help with closing on property or renovations or what have you. So, um, I mean, that's where we started with our first three deals. But at the end of the day, if you're doing rent to owns in a market that's appreciating faster, then your rent to own is appreciating on paper. So for example, if you use like six or 7% a year with your investor buyer and the market's, you know, increasing at 20 to 25%, you end up leaving a lot of money on the table if and when your RTO buyer buys out. So that is a a good strategy. But I mean, lately I haven't been advising too many people to go that way because in the markets that we're working on, working in the appreciation is much higher than you would recoup on a rent to own. Yeah, more of a long-term game. I think the other thing, too, that we learned really quickly is you can't be an expert in every strategy, right? I mean, we've talked about student rentals, rent-to-owns, buy-and-holds, flips, right? Like, when we started, I mean, we had, like, we were on fire. We wanted to do everything, and we wanted to be everywhere. And really, I think our sobering moment is we went to a conference, you know, and we walked through the trade show, Um exhibition and basically you know we saw people pitching you know student rentals we saw people that were pitching rent to owns we saw people that were pitching you know uh, legal basement conversions right and then we walked out of there and we were just overwhelmed exhausted like we like we were just like oh my god like we can't do it all 
right? We can't be everywhere. We can't do everything. And I think really, we really dumbed it down to kind of the definition of success, which is find one thing that you're good at, become the expert at it and do it over and over and over and over again. And that's what we've done in our portfolio is that we found that niche that we're comfortable in. And, you know, we've done it over and over and over again. So it's like, we know, and, you know, the clients that we've, uh, and the investors that we've gone out with, we've shown them how they can replicate that. I mean, so much so that we're filling properties and it's becoming harder to fill because someone has gone out and replicated that strategy in a certain market, but that person will remain nameless. Yep. That's <laughs> probably a good idea if you value your life. No, and, and you're right though, but there is strategies out there and I agree with you wholeheartedly that you do have to kind of find your niche stick with it doesn't mean you can't change down the road or you might you know you might meet the right person that does student rentals and you're doing flips and you're like wow that's pretty good and again it comes down to networking and you're learning from them and maybe that ends up being something you get better at and and then you end up going down that path i think the biggest thing though is that you know is that you always need to be kind of keeping your eye on your portfolio right in terms of kind of what's out there and you have to put pride aside sometimes because the numbers don't lie, right? Mm, yeah. is that if your portfolio isn't performing as well as it should or could, then you need to kind of trim the fat, right? You need yeah. to realize that, hey, it's time to get rid of this property or sell this property or change the use, right? Maybe yeah. it's a single family home and the tenant vacates and then you have the ability to kind of, you know, add a second suite or maybe it's in, you know, a prime area for a student rental and you could convert it to a student rental, right? But you have to be... You have to be humble and you can't, you have to put your pride aside sometimes. And if you made a mistake, we all make mistakes, right? But you don't want to be, you want to kind of get out of that mistake unscathed. Yep. I agree. I think what happens sometimes too is kind of a, when people are starting out, I mean, investors in any realm are always taught to diversify, right? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. So I feel like when I meet with clients who are, very new investors just starting to consider the idea of real estate investing. They want to diversify, but their interpretation of diversifying is buying a flip, a student rental, an RTO, a single family home, and a duplex all in the same year. So they don't want to stick to one strategy where that might actually hinder people because you need to, like Jay said, pick a strategy, focus on it, do well at it, and then either repeat it or move on. But you need to master one strategy before moving to the next. Otherwise, it's just like each strategy on its own is completely overwhelming. So to do two or three at the same time as a novice investor gets to be too crazy. Yep, I think you're right. Studying just maybe one to start and working on that because there's so much to learn even in every strategy. I mean, we're going to be covering that on future podcasts and we'll have people in that are doing it. I mean, we're doing it now, but we're going to talk to other people that are, and we're going to touch on each of those strategies over the time and uh, hopefully get as much information as we can. You know, I think everyone's asking, right, for those people that are kind of, you know, squarely on the fence and are thinking seriously about it, really, how do you get started? You know, because I think it's, um, you know, it's a daunting task to be like, I'm going to do this, right? And I mean, uh, Eric has got you know a perfect client, right? Who last year they'd been sitting on the fence for a number of years, and then they refinanced one of their principal residents, and they basically you know were at a different place in their career, and they basically said we're going to do this. So you know, Erica, maybe I'll kind of throw this to you. How do you get started? Would like how would you advise people that are kind of sitting on the fence to get started? Just do it. Uh, no. Bye, 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 I think you said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, bye, bye, bye. That was my line on another podcast. Um, I don't know. It's it's hard. I mean, 
literally just do it, right? Like some people overanalyze it. Some people named Jay Shaw overanalyze deals to the, until the cows come home, right? Like, I mean, we started like that, one of us. Um, and it got to the point where we'll the numbers- be editing that out, by the way. <laughs> Well, you went over and over the spreadsheet 17 times where at the end of the day, it's like, let's get out the door and let's go do a freaking offer on, on the house. And what's the worst that could happen? You sell it, right? It doesn't work. The tenants trash the house. You have insurance. There's For every objection, there's an equally logical explanation, path forward, solution, whatever you want to call it, right? So, I mean, there's so many objections that we deal with, you know, on an everyday basis from investors, from clients, from peers at the end of the day it's like just do it like what can go wrong lots of things can go wrong but lots of things can go right right so i mean i'm probably not the best person to answer this question but i mean you can overthink things so much you can talk yourself out of anything at the end of the day if you listen to all these experts of people family friends you know aunts uncles oh well i know so and so they bought a property and you know the tenants just trash the place like you know you're just you're not going to do well in real estate because so and so i know had this bad experience like Okay, sure. People keep saying, well, what if the market crashes? My favorite reply to that is, I sure hope the market crashes because that means that myself and all my investor clients will clean house, will buy everything. <laughs> yeah, it's a sale. That's, that's the time to buy, right? Yeah. So like I don't Walmart. believe the market's going to crash, but if and when it does, that that's spectacular. Yeah. So I was thinking more along the lines of getting your financial house in order, Knowing your credit score. Well, before well, Jay goes on to that. question yourself. Yeah, no, no. But I agree with you. <laughs> I didn't you, know I was the guest on this uh, <laughs> podcast. But it's true what Erica was saying. And I mean, you can guide everybody and your clients as much as you can. But there's no magic formula to actually pull the trigger. Sometimes you do have to take a chance. And like Erica was saying, it might not go perfectly. Like there's a chance that it won't be 100% perfect. Uh, again, because everybody would be doing it. But sometimes it's the hardest part is is knowing all the information and still not being able to take the leap. So the first one's the hardest and everything Erica said is true. I was the deal analyzer. I The very first one, I had the spreadsheet over and over and over again. And if it weren't for someone swift kicking the, you know, what, where we never would have put up an offering on that property. So, I mean, absolutely. Like there's like, I remember going and like doing the paperwork and I was like, holy, you know what? Like we're doing this. Right. And that was in 2014. He is so PG, eh? Uh, Vanilla, please. I'm vanilla. (laughs) Having kids has ruined you. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, I mean, the first one's the hardest, right? But then after that, it's just, it gets easier because like Erica says, you know, if, if it all goes to hell in a handbasket, well, guess what? You just sell the house. You know what? And it's like you're investing in an area like you're not investing in like Nunavut, right? Not not that we have anything wrong with Nunavut. Like you're inv- you're investing in the Greater Golden Horseshoe, right? Or or another market similar to that where it's strong, right? It's like your your house isn't going to sit on the market for three, six, nine months, right? Like I mean, you may not get what you want, but you're going to get out of it relatively unscathed. I agree. That was that was very deep, Brian. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading something. Okay. Oh, you're talking about getting your personal financial house in order. What do you mean by that, Jay? Well, I think if you're going to go down this path, you kind of need to know what's there, right? Like everyone, like, I mean, in our own personal situation, like, I mean, there's this big fallacy that before you go and get a pre-approval or speak to someone, you, you have to have all your debts paid off, right? It's like, well, guess what? No one is perfect and no one has all their debts paid off, right? Like Eric and I... And speak, if they do, you want them as a joint manager partner because they can get a ton of approval. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, Eric and I, like, you know, fill properties for investors on a regular basis. So we've seen multiple credit reports. And let me tell you, like, I mean, compared to ours, like there's, <laughs> there's a, people a lot worse out there, right? So it's like, you need to get your 
here, you know, don't be afraid of the debts that you have, right? It's like everyone is not perfect and everyone has a story. Your credit report and your credit score is for a particular point in time, right? Now, if your credit score is like in the five and four hundreds, probably not the greatest place to start, but you need to know that. You need to know what you have and you need to go and talk to someone, you know, a mortgage professional that understands real estate investing, right? And the second thing is really reaching out, finding an agent that is investor friendly. It doesn't have to be, you know, Erica, you or I, right? Like, I mean, if you have someone that understands that you're comfortable working with, great, do that. But make sure that they understand real estate investing. And then more so, you need to know your numbers, understanding what your numbers are. Like when Erica and I go look at properties and Brian, you're the same. You know what you can get for market rent because you've been on Kijiji, you see what's out there. You know what the numbers are if you're going to get the house for at asking, below asking, 5, 10, 15 over. You run those scenarios. You know roughly what your insurance is, your property taxes are. So you kind of know. And that's really going to guide your decision on do we move forward or do we not? Because at the end of the day, it's like it's not would you live here, it's could you live here. Yeah, and that's actually that's when... HR original, good line. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my new tattoo. There's actually, uh, you were talking about it earlier in regards to credit score. And that's something I find that uh, some sometimes you might want to go down the path of a joint venture partner. Let's say years ago, you were in a bad spot, your credit score hasn't bounced back yet. That's maybe where you want to explore a joint venture partnership. I mean, I don't find that everybody with bad credit score is a bad person. They might have just gone through a rough patch. And uh, I've known one person who has bad credit who ended up going on a joint venture and is now purchasing their third property. But this is uh, is out in Oshawa. So credit score is not always bad, Jay. That's true. Oh, absolutely. But I think like my point, Brian, is that you need to know what it is, right? Absolutely. Don't, oh yeah. Don't be for afraid, sure. right? Like you can go on, you know, you can go online at Credit Karma, you can you can figure it out for free, right? Yep. But like a lot of people like you That's ask not them, a plug. That was not a plug. No, exactly, right? Creditkarma.com. No. <laughs> we don't own shares in that uh, company. But you need to know what it is. Like I mean, so many people are like they're afraid of that number, right? It's a number, right? And it fluctuates, it goes up and down, right? So it's like you just need to know what it is. And more so, I mean, I feel like I'm educating here on credit. So And more importantly, after you buy 10, 15, 20 houses, do not look at your credit score because you'll want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> but the good thing is you own ten or twenty houses. That's true. <laughs> what about finding the deals, right? I mean, obviously everyone's looking on the MLS for deals. I mean, it seems to be the most logical spot. But where else should we be looking for deals? Like, where else should we be, you know, finding those off-market deals, right? Because I think now with, you know, the market being stable and kind of coming into a spring market, there's going to be multiple multiple offer situations. It's going to bid up prices. Where else should people be looking at finding these deals? Online. Kijiji's a good one. I know that. There's a lot of people advertising private deals there. Uh, Real estate investment groups. I mean, there's always, I know at the groups we go to, sometimes we're, pitching deals that we know of investors that are exclusive deals that are not yet on the MLS or may not need to go on the MLS because of the network and the strength of the network. Yeah. And that's where it comes back to networking again, right? You can, you can keep coming back to networking pretty much in every topic we're going to cover. But like you said, it's just sometimes the people you're running circles with, they, uh, they've got some information for you. You, Jay? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Right. I think, more so the more people you talk to. I mean, we talk to, you know, agents on a regular basis and one of us got an email from, you know, another agent that has a couple of properties coming on the market that are going to be listed on Wednesday. And 
you know, two days before, like giving us a heads up. So you need to be connected. You need to be kind of seen as that market expert in the in the local area once you're investing. So the people are going to come to you first because the minute it hits the MLS, then it's like you're going to have multiple eyes on that. And you're going to have multiple, potentially multiple bids coming at it too. Yeah. Even if other agents know that you've got a name and you're walking around with buyers and you are buying up places, they want to know your name. Because sometimes, like you said, it might end up being an exclusive deal that hasn't even hit the market yet. And you could be landing deals just via text message. So definitely networking again. Not that that happened today at lunch or anything? No, I I just (laughs) got to stop saying networking. There's this great property coming up, I know, on Bunting Road. (laughs) Oh, my God. Why would you say that now? Anyways, uh, we want to thank everybody for tuning in on this first episode. Might be a little rough around the edges, but we'll get the hang of it. We can't quite tell you what's going to be on the next episode, but I can tell you that it is going to be awesome. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and be sure to sign up for our email notification so you know when the next REIL podcast comes out the moment it goes live. And uh, be sure to check out our website at reilounge.ca for more info. My name is Brian Fitzgerald. I'm Jay Shaw. And on assignment is Erica Spencer. And uh, (laughs) thanks for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you soon. 